Our sermon text this morning is Mark 12, 28 through 34. And uh, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn there and keep it open. Um, you know, for the past few weeks, I've been looking at these uh, loaded questions that the different religious sects and groups have been asking Jesus and his response to them. Uh, and in our sermon text today, Mark presents to us the final of these questions, uh, and I would say the most important. And I want to say uh, before I begin, as Dave alluded to uh, in his prayer, our world could use a heavy dose of love your neighbor right now. There's no doubt. In fact, you might even say it's the most important message that, that I could preach this morning from this text. But the Lord has led me to the first commandment. And so I hope when we're done, you'll see the connection and, and be uh, encouraged in, in the Lord to love your neighbor better uh, because of the first commandment. Um, so, Mark 12, 28 through 34. Now let us give our attention to the very word of God. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, that is Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. Understatement of the century. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Indeed, let's pray. Father, you are lovely. But our hearts are given to other loves. You love us with a love that we cannot comprehend. Help us now to see it and to respond in love to you and in love for others. Because of Christ we pray. Amen. Now on Monday I began to read our sermon text for this morning and I wondered, do we really know what it means to love God like this with everything? Do we want to? Do we even try to? I would have to say that we don't. So I asked a number of friends this question. I asked them, what do you think of when you hear the commandment to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind 
and all of your strength. What do you think of when you hear that commandment? What's your reaction to that? One friend said, what well, means to obey him out of love and not obligation. It's pretty good. Another friend said, and listen carefully, another friend said, my first thought is how the Christianity I was taught from an early age, a dutiful response to God with an emphasis on outward compliance to his word, is so far wide of the mark from what God is commanding here. In other words, God wants more than outward obedience. So true. But I think the best answer I got this week was from a friend who said this. To be honest, I don't have any idea what that would look like. Now that's honest. And that's where I want to start. Do we know what it looks like to love God this way? Let me ask you this morning, take a moment Let's just take a moment and think about this. Think about the current state of your life and the current trajectory of your heart and ask yourself, am I even attempting to love God with everything? I'm convicted. Now, I want to do something a bit different this morning, and if you will follow me, we will make it back to Mark 12 in just a few minutes. But I want to tell you three short, true stories. There are three events in the life of Jesus that show us how he loved his heavenly Father. And I hope these snapshots will lead us to a greater understanding of this greatest commandment. Now, when Jesus was 12 years old, the gospel writer Luke tells us that his family went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, like they did every year. And the people that Jesus was with, his family and other his distant relatives and acquaintances, they all went up in a caravan together. And when the feast was over, they had done their part. And they left. And they began the long journey back home. Well, about a day into the journey, Mary starts looking for the boy Jesus, and she can't find him. Now, there's a lot of people, so oh, maybe he's with some of the relatives. So they look. No luck. Jesus is not with the caravan. Now, imagine your terror if you're a parent. And so they immediately returned to Jerusalem to see if he was there. And after three days, they found him. And do you know where he was? In the temple. Sitting among the teachers, listening to their teaching and asking them questions and answering their questions for him. Jesus was 12. But his questions and answers to these teachers were so full of depth and heart that all who heard him were amazed at him. Matthew, how old are you? You're 12? Would you mind standing up? This is Matthew Hamill. He's a good friend of mine. He's 12. Thank you. I want you to imagine the boy Jesus. so enthralled with the things of God that he couldn't leave the temple. 
The feast being over was not enough for him. The duty wasn't done because the duty was to love God with everything. And when his mother found him and asked him why he had done this, Jesus answered, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And listen to what Luke says. From that day forward, Luke tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Now we don't hear anything else of Jesus, as far as I know, until he's about 30. So for 18 years, this Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and in favor with God and man as he poured his life into learning and loving the things of God. He was loving God with all his mind. Now years later, Jesus was about to begin his public ministry, and he went out to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And as he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Man, what a blessing. And immediately... From that point of blessing, the Spirit of God led Jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now, we don't know the exact chronology of those 40 days, but we know that Jesus was fasting and the devil was tempting. It was an excruciating time, I would think. And at some point, the devil brings three specific and final temptations before Jesus. He knows Jesus is hungry from his fast, and he says to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now Jesus, whose mind had been trained by the Word of God, he responded, probably weak and hungry and tempted. He responded, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan says, okay, well, two can play at this game. So he tempts Jesus with some scripture, which he, of course, misapplies. And Jesus again responds with more scripture. Then the devil offers one more temptation. He offers Jesus the kingdoms of the earth without the sacrifice of the cross. If Jesus will only bow down and worship him. And Jesus responds, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus was loving his Father with all his mind and all his strength. And now the third story. And it's my favorite. One day Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea back to Galilee, and they had to pass through Samaria. Now, in the middle of the day, Jesus was tired and thirsty, and he sent the disciples into town to buy food. And for the sake of time this morning, I will not recount this familiar story to you. But let me hit the high points. Jesus had a conversation with a broken woman, and she realized he might be the Messiah. He told her he was the Messiah, but she still had to wonder. And the way he talked to her and the things that he said, they captured her heart. So she runs back to town and says, 
come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And so based on this woman's testimony, many from the town stopped what they were doing. And they went out to see Jesus. Now while this was going on, the disciples who had gone to get food had come back and they were urging Jesus to eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. What? We, you just sent us for food. We're here with food. You're hungry. And they're asking one another, did, did someone give him something to eat? They don't get it, see? Then Jesus says, my food, my nourishment, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then Jesus tells his disciples to look up and see that the fields are white for the harvest. He's talking about the many Samaritans who were coming out to him and putting their faith in him. You see, Jesus' heart and soul and mind and strength were all given to God fully. The very center of his will was tied to God's love for him and his love for God. To do the will of his Father and to partner in the work of redemption was far more satisfying than a 16-ounce porterhouse and twice-baked potatoes and a cheesecake dessert. The thing that truly brought joy and fulfillment to the heart of Jesus was being in the center of God's will and enjoying his relationship with his Father. And there are other stories Countless, and we don't have time because we need to deal with this story in Mark 12. You see, when this scribe came up to Jesus and asked him what was the most important commandment, Jesus didn't have to think. He didn't have to scratch his head or, or grab his chin thoughtfully and look into the distance. No, for Jesus, this was not an academic exercise. This was not one more log on the fire of debates that the Jews had about great commandments and light commandments. It was like breathing in and out for him. Now, I cannot say for certain, but I want you to use your sanctified imagination for a moment. I can't say for certain, but I imagine the years of Jesus' life flashing before his mind. Beautiful times of learning his Torah, acts of mercy shown to others, intimate moments of prayer with his father, his baptism into the ministry that God had given him, the words of affirmation from, his, from heaven, from his father. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Heart-wrenching temptation to leave God's plan for an easier way and the ministry of angels that attended to him when the tempting was over. The blind receiving sight, the deaf hearing, the lame walking and shouting and glorifying God, seeing Samaritans coming over the hill to get their first glimpse of the one who would bring salvation to the nations. Every moment of his beautiful life and responding with a joy and a sense of gravity that none of us has ever experienced, hear, O Israel. The Lord, our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. And when you've done that, you will love your neighbor as yourself. I'm paraphrasing. You see, it was the way he had lived, and he knew it was the only way to live. And so I would say to my friend who said, I don't even know what that kind of love looks like to love God that way. It looks like Jesus of Nazareth. That kind of love looks like his love. That kind of life looks like his life. In fact, it doesn't just look like it, it is it. Jesus' life was and still is a life of whole, singularly focused devotion to and love for God. And so the scribe responds to and agrees with Jesus. He says, you're right. And then he basically repeats what Jesus has just said, and he adds, that, that kind of love, that's better than all the sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. And he looked at the scribe and he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. What? (laughs) Not far? I mean, come on, Jesus. (laughs) Come on. I mean, he just told you exactly what you wanted to hear. Whatever his motive was when he approached you, it seems that you've won him over. Why is he only not far from the kingdom of God? Why is he in? Well, because the scribe, though he knows the truth, has not acted on it. Listen, intellectual assent to the truths of God is not salvific. It won't save you. Being right won't save you. You can't stand on the perimeter and hear the sermons and mumble the songs, agree that the creeds are true, say nice sermon preacher with a pat on the back and waltz into the kingdom of God. No, the great commandment is not you shall study this stuff and agree with it. Oh, God, help us. No, it's you shall love the Lord your God with everything With every fiber of your being, every faculty that makes you human, every thought, every word, every deed, done openly before God according to his word because you love him and long to do his will and to know him more. If you have only assented intellectually to the truth claims of Christ, you may not be far from the kingdom, but you aren't in it. And that's a problem for me. Is it a problem for you? Have you loved God with all you are? Now listen to what Bible teacher and pastor and Reformed famous person R.C. Sproul said when he was talking about this passage. Sproul said, If I were to ask you, what's the most serious sin of all? What would you say? Murder? Adultery? Idolatry? Unbelief? 
it would seem to me that if this is the great commandment, the great transgression would be the failure to keep it. And that scares me. Sproul said this, that scares me. Because I haven't kept the great commandment for five minutes in my life. And neither have I. And neither have you. And neither had the scribe. But Jesus did. So hold on for hope because hope is coming. You see, this is the point in the sermon where some poor preacher might list a number of practical steps for keeping this commandment better. Poor guy. Even now I'm tempted to do it. But we're talking about a life of love that none of us has ever approached and most of us cannot comprehend. I don't know any practical ways to keep this commandment. I'm sorry. But I know an impractical way. It's so impractical that some of your friends and even your family will try to talk you out of it. Your own heart will war against you even as you begin to take the first step. It's called life with Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus' all of life love for his Father did not end in temple tutoring sessions or wilderness temptations or Samaritan harvests. The love Jesus had for his father led him all the way to a garden of emotional turmoil and a trial and a whip and a hill and a cross. And as he was hanging on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for all of our sin if we are in Christ. Even the failure to love God with everything. And when he was raised three days later, Jesus opened a new way for us. He opened a way for sinners to truly enter his life, his life of love. So that the Apostle Paul could even say, listen to this, could even say, that if we are in Christ, the Spirit, the same Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives within us. Now listen, this kind of love, the kind of love God requires, it does not grow on the branches of good intentions. It cannot be fanned into flame by the winds of guilt trip. It never flows out of the waters of better holiness practices. This kind of love is only born of the fruit and the fire and the living water of the Spirit of God. And in Christ, we have that same Spirit. So I invite you this morning, come and live with Jesus Christ. Enter into his life by faith, I invite you. Walk with him. 
Learn from him. Learn to love like him. And when you do, you can be certain of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are lovely. Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it. We often struggle to. God, help us. Help us to say yes to Jesus Christ, to enter into his life, to learn from him, to become a true life disciple of Jesus, living our lives the way Jesus would live them if he were living our lives. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.